On January 25, 1971, the African nation of Uganda was thrust into chaos as the commander of the Ugandan army, Idi Amin, successfully staged a military coup usurping power from the president, Milton Obote. On that day, Amin assured Ugandans across the nation that his control of the government was temporary, lasting only until free and fair elections could be held. Within the next month, Idi Amin suspended provisions of the constitution, disbanded the parliament, and declared himself president, consigning all legislative authority to himself. Over the next eight years, hundreds of thousands would die at the hands of Amin and his regime. I'm your host, Forrest Kelly, and here is 10 minutes about Idi Amin. Idi Amin Dada was born in the mid-1920s in the village of Kaboko in the northwest of British colonial Uganda. His Muslim father, a member of the Kakwa tribe, abandoned his family while Amin was an infant, leaving his Lubara mother to raise him alone. Like his father, Amin would profess faith in Islam until the time of his death. With limited education, a young Idi Amin joined the King's African Rifles, known as the KAR, a British Army colonial regiment. He would begin as an assistant cook. Amin would later falsely maintain that he served in the Burma campaign during World War II. However, he didn't join the KAR until a year after the war's end in 1946. Throughout the following decade, Amin would rise up through the ranks, spending time in Mauritius, fighting to quell rebels in Somalia, and in the late 1950s, he fought the Mau Mau Rebellion in Kenya. In addition to his military service, standing at 6'4", Idi Amin was Uganda's light heavyweight boxing champion from 1951 to 1960. As a man, he was an extraordinarily powerful specimen, is how his former superior, Major Ian Graham of the King's African Rifles, described him. He was a man thought to be fiercely loyal to Britain, but many of his British superiors didn't consider him to be intelligent. He garnered recognition from his commanders for his role in the Mau Mau Rebellion. However, having contracted venereal disease several times, he was barred from acquiring a good conduct stripe. Later in life, Amin would insist that he secretly rendered aid to the Mau Mau. However, there are many Kenyans who recall he was one of the more studious black soldiers in regards to tracking down suspected nationalists. In 1959, Amin was promoted to the rank of Effendi, the highest rank attainable for a black Ugandan in the KAR. In 1962, Amin led a unit of troops into Turkana, Kenya to investigate reports of cattle rustling. He allegedly massacred the tribesmen. Mutilated bodies were later discovered buried in pits. Evidence suggested the locals had been beaten and in some cases buried alive. British authorities in Kenya demanded Amin be handed over to them to be tried for murder. However, with Uganda on the cusp of independence, the British authorities in Kampala believed it was political suicide to court-martial Amin since he was one of only two black officers in the Ugandan military. On October 9, 1962, Uganda gained its independence from Britain in an amicable split. The freshly minted Prime Minister, Milton Obote, who was fond of Amin and in desperate need of officers for the young nation's military, opted not to extradite him, instead promoting Amin a year later to the rank of Major, 
before promoting him once again to colonel in 1964, elevating him to deputy commander of the army. In February of 1966, Obote and Amin were charged by parliament for smuggling gold and ivory from Congo in exchange for supplying weapons to guerrilla fighters. In turn, Amin arrested several government officials who challenged their actions as Obote suspended the constitution. While Obote began consolidating power to himself, Idi Amin, now commander of the military, led an assault on the palace of the president of Uganda, King Mutesa II of Buganda, a powerful kingdom in the south of the country. The Battle of Mengo Hill, wrote journalist Patrick Keatley, as Amin liked to describe it, was something he never ceased to describe to visitors like myself, in greater and more gory detail with the passage of the years. As the deposed king sought exile in England, Obote became executive president. He replaced many powerful Baganda people with members of his own tribes, the Acholi and the Lango. Amin continued to rise through the ranks, but his alliance with Obote was hardly solid. After several assassination attempts on his life, Obote began to suspect Amin was behind the attacks. He tried to arrest him, but it backfired due to unexpected loyalty towards Amin amongst the soldiers. Instead, in October of 1970, Obote took over control of the military, demoting Amin from Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces to Commander of the Army. In recent years, Obote had begun to nationalize much of the Ugandan economy. This move threatened Britain's business interests in the region. They feared others would follow the path set by Obote, which would prove catastrophic for their overseas investments. In January of 1971, Milton Obote traveled to the Commonwealth Conference in Singapore to protest Britain's sale of weapons to apartheid South Africa. Meanwhile, Amin's own position was becoming increasingly unsure. He was a leading suspect in the murder of a rival brigadier and Abote was reportedly planning to arrest him for misappropriating military defense funds. With Abote out of the country, Amin took advantage of the opportunity. On January 25th, Amin staged a military coup snatching control of Uganda. His troops seized vital locations around the country early in the day, proceeding to arrest or execute hundreds of soldiers loyal to Abote. Several skirmishes broke out in Jinja and Kampala between the two factions. Alan Kisaka, who was 12 years old at the time, remembers that day vividly. There were military transports carrying troops at high speed down the road. Some of them would stop and officers would jump out and start beating anyone who had a shirt or dress with a picture of Milton Abote on it. By mid-afternoon, Amin and his troops controlled the nation. They swarmed the airport in Kampala to prevent Abote's return. He instead sought refuge in neighboring Tanzania. The next day, Amin released all the political rivals Abote had imprisoned during his reign. A week after the coup, Britain officially recognized the new government, followed by the United States and Israel. Nations such as Kenya and Zambia denounced the new regime. In February, Major General Amin declared himself president, dissolving the parliament and ceding all legislative authority to himself. Having ousted Obote, he was celebrated and warmly welcomed by many. Cheering could be heard in the streets of Kampala as some considered him a savior of the nation. 
He would travel from village to village, dressed in his military uniform, smiling and waving as he rallied the people. However, almost immediately, Amin began to murder his political adversaries, purging the military and the country of Abote loyalists, specifically the Acholi and the Lango tribes. As one woman recalled, police would enter her university and remove girls of certain tribes, killing them in the streets. Amin formed the Public Safety Unit and the State Research Bureau, secret police forces with unilateral power over life and death, tasked with eliminating anyone who opposed the president. Weeks after the coup, at Makinde Prison in Kampala, 32 army officers were locked in a small cell and blown up with a stick of dynamite. Within Amin's first year of power, nearly two-thirds of the nation's 9,000 soldiers were killed in mass genocide their corpses tossed in rivers and lakes. Amin replaced much of the army with members of his own tribe and other West Nile tribes loyal to him. While committing mass genocide, Amin attempted to mask it by endearing himself to the international community abroad and the working class in his own country. Britain felt assured by Amin when he began to relax many of the nationalistic policies Obote had set in place. He also fully supported Britain's sale of arms to South Africa. In March, he pleased many Ugandans by bringing home the body of the very popular and beloved King Mutesa II, who had died in 1969 while in exile. The king was given a traditional royal burial. In his new ally Britain, Amin sought political favor. In July, he made an impromptu state visit to England where he met the queen, who he called Liz. He requested financial aid along with several jet fighters to add to his military, which would play into his grand scheme of invading Tanzania. They gave Amin a variety of armored vehicles, but denied his request for aircraft. That same month, Amin selected Benedicto Kiwanuka, the country's first prime minister, to serve as the nation's first chief justice. He had been imprisoned by Abote in 1969 as a political adversary. After the coup, Kiwanuka was one of the many political prisoners Amin freed. Initially, he was vocal in his support for Amin. In 1972, Amin reached out to Israel, requesting jet fighters and financial support, but they would refuse. In retaliation, he went to Libya, where he gained the support of Muammar Gaddafi. Amin severed ties with Israel and expelled nearly 500 Israelis from the country. Later that year, he would send a telegraph to the UN that said, Hitler and all German people knew that Israelis are not people who are working in the interest of the people of the world, and that is why they burned the Israelis alive with gas in the soil of Germany. In August, Amin issued an order informing the nation's Indian population they had 90 days to leave the country. Decades earlier, the British had brought Asians from India to build Uganda's railroads. Now numbering over 50,000, these third-generation Ugandan-born Indians made up the country's middle class. They owned 90% of the businesses and were responsible for 90% of the country's tax revenue. The lifelong Muslim Amin claimed God had come to him in a dream, instructing him to expel the Indian population. Even when the British handed it over, Amin rationalized, Uganda was still not yet independent. Uganda will be independent after this. I want to see the whole street is not full of Indians. It must be proper blacks. I'm correcting the British for the mistake they made. 
If they had thought earlier that there are Africans here who can work and build the railway with instruction given to them by the British, this problem would not happen. He warned that any Indians who remained after the 90 days would be sitting on fire. Most of the Asians would relocate to Britain. The vacant businesses they had left behind were given to supporters of Amin. Without any knowledge or training on how to run the businesses, most were promptly run into the ground. This led to further economic decline. Meanwhile, Chief Justice Kiwanuka grew increasingly frustrated by Amin's disregard for the rule of law and his tyrannical behavior. Amin had also grown tired of Kiwanuka. Their strenuous relationship came to a head in September of 1972, when the military wrongly arrested a British businessman, Daniel Stewart. Despite being advised not to by friends, Kiwanuka took up the businessman's case. He ultimately decided to release Stewart, stating the army had no right to detain a citizen. Amin was furious and harassed Kiwanuka through a series of calls. Who is greater, the Chief Justice or the President? Amin would demand. Kiwanuka tried to explain his ruling to the President, but he refused to listen. On September 21st, Kiwanuka was abducted from his court chambers by plainclothes police. He was never seen again. Decades later, a former policeman, with inside knowledge, alleged that four days after the kidnapping, Kiwanuka was murdered, shot by Amin himself. After refusing to read a statement on the radio that would have blamed guerrilla fighters for his abduction, Amin pulled a gun on Kiwanuka and said, Don't you think I can kill you? The Chief Justice reportedly replied, You can do so, but I'm not going to say anything at all. I will die with the truth. In June of 1976, Amin provided refuge in Uganda for an Air France flight out of Israel bound for Paris via Athens that had been hijacked by a Palestinian liberation group. Amin supplied the terrorists with weapons and troops as the hostages were held at the airport terminal in Entebbe. The terrorists separated the Jewish hostages from the non-Israeli hostages who were then released and flown to Paris. The flight crew, however, chose to stay with the Israeli captives, some of whom were survivors of the Holocaust. On the morning of July 4th, after a week in captivity, an elite squad of Israeli commandos rescued over a hundred hostages, killing the seven hijackers and 20 Ugandan soldiers. Amin would protest Israel's actions, claiming they had interrupted his attempts to free the hostages through negotiation. It had been my intention to act today for the release of the hostages, he said. All that's left for me now to do is count the dead. Despite his words, Dora Block, a hostage who had been hospitalized days before the rescue, was taken from her hospital bed and brutally murdered. Amin, however, denied any involvement, claiming she had been returned to the airport just hours before the raid. Weeks later, Britain severed diplomatic ties with Uganda and their one-time ally, Amin. He would use this to claim that he had conquered the British Empire, adding it to the list of official titles he had granted himself, which read in full, His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal, Al-Haji, Dr. Idi Amin Dada, Victory Cross, Distinguished Service Order, Military Cross, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas, and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. Additionally, 
he had once claimed to be the uncrowned King of Scotland. For years, rumors spun that the dictator was dealing with the advanced stages of syphilis, which caused him brain damage, rationalizing his erratic behavior. Having married at least six women, in addition to his countless mistresses, it was not an outrageous theory. And when one of his ex-wife's bodies was found dismembered, it was no surprise many pointed fingers at Amin. In November of 1978, Amin sent troops into Tanzania to annex territory north of the Kagira River. Tanzania retaliated, driving the Ugandan military out of the country with the aid of Ugandan rebels. His invasion plan foiled, Amin attempted to ease tensions and soften any potential repercussions of his actions, publicly stating, I have withdrawn the troops from the Tanzania border because I believe in peace, unity, reconciliation, and a love between my neighbors, including Tanzania. His hollow words were ignored. On April 11, 1979, the Tanzanian military and the Ugandan rebels overcame Amin's army and their Libyan allies, capturing Kampala. The dictator would flee to Libya and then later to Saudi Arabia. He left Uganda in economic ruin, bloodied by years of genocide along religious, political, and ethnic lines. In 1980, Milton Obote would win a fraudulent election to once again rule the African nation, but he would again be overthrown in a coup in 1985, being replaced by current Ugandan president Yoweri Museveni in 1986. In the Bush War waged between Obote's government and Museveni's national resistance movement, violence remained a constant. In those five years, it is estimated that 500,000 people were killed. In January of this year, Museveni won his sixth term in office. Many believe the election was rigged. As for Idi Amin, the former president for life would spend his remaining years in exile in Saudi Arabia. He lived as a hermit in a villa in Jeddah. The Saudis provided him refuge on the condition he remained silent. They considered him a detriment to their shared faith. On August 16, 2003, the man infamously referred to as the Butcher of Uganda would die. In his nearly 80 years, he fathered at least 40 children. And in his eight years in power, it is estimated that 500,000 people were murdered by him and his regime. He is remembered as one of the most violent men in history. Thank you for listening. For 10 minutes about, I've been your host, Forrest Kelly. And that's all I've got to say about Edie Amin. <laughs>